Thanks for tuning in today. You're listening to the official podcast of First Alliance Church in Great Falls, Montana, creating passionate followers of Christ. Today's message is from lead pastor John Reese. Good morning, everyone. As you know, we're spending a year with Jesus. Uh, We're on a journey with him through the book of Luke. And it's my hope as we spend time with Jesus this year, I have kind of a hidden agenda here, but I want to see you changed by what we see. I want to see it affect our lives. Jesus was about making disciples, and disciples are people who learn from their teacher how to do life. And Jesus wants to do more than inform us. He wants to transform us. Dallas Willard once said this. He said, We have cultivated an understanding of the devotional life that leaves life out of it. He says, we have a devotional life, but we don't have a life of devotion. Then he says the same thing about our prayer life. He says, we have a prayer life, but what we need is a praying life. There's a difference between saying our prayers and living a praying life. And this morning, we want to talk about what it means to have a praying life. Have you ever thought about how surprising it is that Jesus spent so much time praying? During his earthly ministry, the the Son of God, who possessed the uh, fullness of deity, frequently went off alone to pray. At least five times in the book of Luke, it talks about Jesus withdrawing to pray. Once after a hard day of doing ministry, Jesus slipped away into a solitary place to be alone with his father back in Luke chapter 4, verse 42. And we're told that Jesus often went in the wilderness to pray in chapter 5, verse 16. Prior to the selection of his disciples, Jesus spent a whole night alone on a mountain praying, chapter 6, 12. And then we all know about his prayer on the Mount of Olives before he was arrested and crucified in Luke 22. And our text for today, uh, Luke chapter 11, begins by saying that Jesus' disciples were watching him pray. And, And while they watched Jesus pray, there was something about his prayers that was attractive to them. Something drew them in, and they... They, they were different than their prayers, and they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. You know, if Jesus always knew the Father's will and the Father was always with him, why did he pray? Well, because he wanted to. <laughs> he cherished those times of communion with his Father. Philip Yancey once understood better than anyone else the greatness and glory of God. Jesus knew God's role as creator, sustainer of the entire universe. He understood the vast difference between God and human beings. He knew God was heaven in heaven and we're here on earth. He had the big picture of the gulf between God and man. And yet he did not question the personal concern of God toward man. He saw God... The Father is one who watches over the sparrows and counts the hairs on our head. He knows us intimately. 
And more to the point, Jesus valued prayer enough to spend many hours in prayer. Philip Yancey says, if I had to answer the question, why pray in a single sentence, it would be because Jesus prayed. While Jesus was on earth, he became vulnerable as we're vulnerable. He was rejected like we're rejected. He was tested like we're tested. And in every case, his response was prayer. Jesus valued time with his father. He was constantly praying. And if Jesus saw the importance of prayer, we certainly should see the importance of prayer. Well, as I've said, Jesus' disciples, observing him, saw something about his prayers that were different. And um, this led them to ask him, Lord, teach us to pray in verse 1 of chapter 11. And we know that Jesus responded by sharing with them uh, the prayer that has become known as the Lord's Prayer. A couple of Sundays ago, uh, I was in the Beartooth Mountains backpacking with my four sons. And, and I'd ask Alan Rada to bring a message on the Lord's Prayer. But that Sunday, right before it was time to preach, he wasn't feeling good, so he called the office. And with all this COVID stuff going on, uh, we called Jerry Devereaux, and Jerry filled in instead. And I think that was a God thing. Jerry had a really pertinent message to the church family on that Sunday. But Alan's already prepared a message on the Lord's Prayer, so I asked him to still give it. So he's going to share it with us in a couple weeks. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump in. We're going through the book of Luke, but I'm going to jump into the passage after the Lord's Prayer. And so we're calling this uh, Jesus' Lessons on Prayer Part 2, and you'll get Part 1 in a couple weeks, okay? Okay. <laughs> But we'll have it in reverse order. But after he shared with his disciples the Lord's Prayer and the content of the, that he thought we should include in our prayer, he immediately proceeded to tell his disciples about how they should pray. After he shares what they should pray, he tells them how they should pray. And, and Jesus here tells his disciples to boldly ask for what they need and trust their Father to generously provide. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And so this morning we're going to be uh, starting at uh, Luke 11, verse 5. And here Jesus will begin by using a story to communicate to his disciples, first of all, that they should pray persistently. Follow with me as I read Luke chapter 11, verse 5 and following. <clears throat> then, that is after he's just shared the Lord's prayer with them, he says to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one on the inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children are with me in bed and I can't get up and give you anything. He says, Jesus says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. 
travel uh, in Jesus' day was very difficult. It's not like it is today where you hop in a car and drive to the town next to you. The travel was by foot or on donkeys or some other animal. And there weren't many inns for people to stay in when they traveled, so travelers often relied on other people's hospitality. And they couldn't call ahead and say, I'm going to be there next Friday. So they would often arrive at someone's house unannounced. When the man in this story had a guest arrive unexpectedly at his home in the middle of the night, he found himself in a predicament. He didn't have any bread to feed his guest. Now, now bread was an essential part of any meal. Bread was not just to eat. It was something that was also used to eat with. It was dipped in whatever was served. It was, an, like I said, a critical part of a meal. And since the many mart down the road had already closed, he had no recourse but to go and ask his neighbor for help. Now, the neighbor in Jesus' story is like most people of that time, unless they were really wealthy. Most of them lived in a one-room house, and there's a picture of the kind of house they lived in. And in many of these houses, there was just one large mat that was used for the whole family to sleep on. That's why the man says to his neighbor, I'm in bed with my children. The whole family would sleep together on that mat in the middle of the room. This man didn't appreciate being waking up in the middle of the night for something that was not an emergency. Nobody was hurt. And yet, being a poor host in that culture was kind of an emergency. Hospitality was taken very, very seriously. There's no way for the man in bed to respond to his neighbor's request without waking his entire household. And back at this particular time, people went to bed a lot earlier than they do in our, our day, in our world, because they didn't have lights and TVs and things that would keep people up after dark. As soon as it got dark, the household would start to shut down. And so coming to a house in the middle of the night would have woken people up during the, 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 the time of deep sleep in the middle of the night. And, and probably, like in our world, I imagine kids are hard to get down at times. And the thought of the whole family waking up because someone's pounding on their door was very disturbing to this man. Philip Ryken uh, suggests it's kind of like rabbit when Winnie the Pooh comes to his house. In that story, when... Pooh saw Rabbit's hole. He wondered about stopping by for a little snack, so he bent down and called out, you know, is anybody home? And there was no response, but he heard a scuffing noise inside and then silence. And so Pooh calls out again a little more loudly, what I said, is anybody home? And no comes a voice from inside. <laughs> and then it says, you don't need to shout so loud. I heard you the first time. Bother, says Pooh. Is anybody there at all? Nobody. <laughs> and we know what Rabbit was trying to do. Rabbit was trying to avoid the obligations of playing host to a hungry bear, right? But eventually Pooh's insistence paid off and Rabbit was invited to come inside where Pooh proceeded to eat more than he should have and that's another story, okay? <laughs> but as silly as that story is, that's kind of what's happening here. A person is bothered by his neighbor's inconvenient request. 
And at first he just wants him to go away, but his neighbor won't stop knocking. And so with a sigh, the man gets up and gives his neighbor what he's asking for. And Jesus says that the man gives him the bread, not because he is a friend, but because of the man's boldness. And the word boldness is a word that could be translated shamelessness. It's the man's shameless persistence that causes the neighbor to respond. You know, when we hear that, we kind of say, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right to us. That's not what... I would expect God, Jesus to use as an analogy of God answering our prayers. Does it, does it mean if we keep bothering God, he's going to give us what we're asking for? And, and the parable is a little bit confusing to us because it gives the impression that God is reluctant to respond to our request. He's like the sleeping man who doesn't want to be bothered at a friend's request. God's too tired to serve us. And yet you don't have to look very far in Scripture to understand that that's not true. The psalmist, in fact, says, my help comes from the Lord. He always looked to God for help. The one who made heaven and earth. He has power to do anything. He's the one who was the creator of it all. And then he says, he will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. <laughs> Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. Our God isn't bothered by us coming to him for help. We aren't rousing him from sleep. And what we need to understand about this story is it's not a, a, an analogy in the sense that it's, it's a parallel picture of God. It, it's what in Scripture they call a how much more analogy. The point here is that if a grouchy friend can be forced by his friend's shameless insistence to give him what he ought to, how much more will our loving father respond to the shameless petitioning of his beloved children when they ask for what they need? It's not that if we bother God too much, he'll give us what we want. You've all seen a child in a store throwing a fit until her parents give her what she wants. God isn't like a parent who gives in to shut their child up. <laughs> he isn't worn down by our constant hounding. Jesus here is making a contrast to show how ready and willing God is to help us if even the grumpiest neighbor can be persuaded to help us in the middle of the night, then how much more will our Father in heaven hear us, his children, when we call for help. He's not saying that, that we can get whatever we want from God. He's not saying that we can persuade God to do something he doesn't want to do. He's saying prayer is an audaciously bold request for God to do what he's already said he will do. For example, if we pray in conformity with God's will, God's going to hear us. God just told us we should pray that his kingdom be established on earth. And when we pray to bring God's principles into our lives and into the realm in which we live, we're praying within God's will. When we ask God to give us our daily bread, we're praying within God's will. God tells us to bring our immediate needs to him. When we ask God to forgive our sins, we are praying within God's will. 
or if we ask him to protect us from temptation, all the things that Jesus talked about in the Lord's Prayer immediately before this, when we pray those kinds of things, we can pray them with shameless persistence because we know they are God's will. Now, of course, God always has the prerogative to say no to our petitions, but when we pray the way Jesus taught us to pray, we may come with holy boldness and a confident faith. Actually, our persistence in prayer shows our commitment to what we're really praying for. It shows that we really are taking this, this gift that God has given us seriously, that we believe it will make a difference. Persistence shows that. Biblical commentator Leon Morris says this. He says, the lesson of this parable is we must not play at prayer, (laughs) but show persistence if we do not receive the answer immediately. It's not that God is unwilling and must be pressed into answering. He says the whole context makes it clear that he's eager to give, but if we do not want what we are asking for enough to be persistent, we don't want it very much. How much do you want the things you pray for? How much do you believe that they are God's will and do you continually come to God with them? Do you boldly persevere or do you get discouraged quickly and give up? You know, too often the reason we don't persist in prayer is that we don't really expect our prayers to be answered. We just know that we're supposed to pray, so we pray, but we're not really expecting much from them. We we don't understand that prayer shakes heaven. (laughs) We we don't think our, our prayers matter much and so we just dabble at prayer not taking it very seriously somebody once suggested that our prayers are like a would-be duck hunter who just randomly steps out on the back porch every once in a while and shoots in the air hoping to hit something that, that, that's not what duck hunting is all about To be a serious duck hunter takes preparation, it takes training, it takes equipment, it takes travel and patience. A lot goes into a good duck hunt. (laughs) And one shouldn't claim to be a golfer or a musician or a student and never put any time into it. A monthly trip to the driving range doesn't make you a golfer. Banging on the piano twice a year doesn't make you a musician. Cracking a book only when you feel like it doesn't make you a student. And in the same way, persistence is needed in growing prayer. If you want to have a growing prayer life, you need to persist at it. Persistence is evidence of sincerity. It's an indicator of earnestness. It reveals that one's requests are not just fleeting interests or momentary impulses, but deeply held convictions and deeply felt desires. That's what our prayer life should be like. We should be growing in prayer. We should be becoming gifted prayers. You don't become powerful in prayer with a hit or miss approach to it. Paul tells us be faithful in prayer. That's saying the same thing. In other words, don't just play at it. Don't just pray when you feel like it. Don't just flip from one thing to another. Maintain a regular disciplined prayer life. Keep at it every day. Do you want to know God? Pray. Do you want to have a loved one helped? Pray. Do you want God to intervene in a problem in your life? Pray and continue to pray. And why do we pray this way? Not because God's requiring a certain number of prayers before he will answer, but because Jesus taught us to pray with boldness and persistence, telling our Father what we need. A disciplined habit of prayer shows that we take God seriously and that we care deeply about what we're asking him for. 
And so first Jesus says, gives this whole story talking about the importance of persistence in prayer. And secondly in this passage, he goes on and kind of discusses what this story means by talking about the fact that we should pray confidently. In verse 9 he says, this is in response to the story he's just said, so in light of what I've just shared with you, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened unto you, for everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. You know, one of my favorite commentaries to read on the book of Luke is an old Puritan commentary written by J.C. Ryle. And in that, he wrote this. He says, it's easier to begin a habit of prayer than to keep up it up. How many of you know that? <laughs> Have you experienced that? He says, thousands take up the habit of praying for a season after some special mercy or some special affliction, you know, some big event in our life, and it, it, it kicks us into gear with prayer. And he says, and then little by little, they become cold about it and lay it aside. He said, let us resist this feeling whenever we feel it rising within us, the feeling to, to just set prayer aside. Let us resolve by God's grace that however poor and feeble our prayers may seem to be, we will pray on. And Jesus indicates that in several different ways. He indicates that through the story he shares, but then he indicates it here through the verbs he uses. The verbs ask and seek and knock, they indicate a rising intensity in prayer. Seeking is stronger than asking, and knocking is stronger than seeking. Ken Hughes says this, he says, ask implies requesting assistance for a conscious need. You don't ask until you have a need. But when there's a conscious need in your life, you request assistance. As long as you can take care of that need yourself, why pray, right? But if there's a need in our life that, that we know that we need help with, we ask. And then, then it also suggests humility because in asking, you're, you're confessing in a way that, that you need help beyond what you can do for yourself. But don't stop with asking. Seek. Seek denotes asking but adds action. The idea is not just to express our need, but to get up and look around for help. It involves effort. And then knock includes asking plus seeking plus persevering. It's like someone who keeps pounding on a closed door. And, and the stacking of these words, he says, is extremely forceful. And the fact that they are, are present imperatives gives them even more punch. Now, a present imperative in the Greek is, it means uh, a, it's a continuous action. It's not like just something happens at one point in time. In other words, the text literally reads this. Keep on asking. Not just ask, but keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. The man in this picture just won't stop. He goes on and says this. Someone might ask, does Jesus... 
Does Jesus' call to persistence in prayer make prayer a meritorious work? In other words, are you earning something through your persistence? He says the answer is clearly no, because what, what Jesus is calling for here has to do with a hard attitude, not just mere religious routine. You know, for example, when we pray for something, when we pray something like your kingdom come, we're asking God to intervene in our world in, in different ways. If we pray that in, specifically in one way, we're asking God to really intervene and we pray that for one day and then forget about it for the next two or three months, it's obvious that this isn't very important to us. One commentator says this, God does not have to be waked up or conjoled into giving us what we need. Many gifts he bestows on the ungodly and the ungrateful, but his choicest blessings are reserved for those who value them and who show their appreciation by asking until they receive. And Hughes continues, he says, this persistence is an indicator of our soul's confidence. And, and Jesus says, it will be given to you. You will find the door will be open. Those who ask, seek, and knock are the people who believe God will answer. You're not going to continue doing these things if you think God won't answer. Their prayers aren't works, but they're acts of faith. They're not rituals, but they're reliance. And the door opens not because hands are bruised, but because pounding hands value what Jesus directs his followers to pray for and because they believe he will answer. In increasing intensity then, we ask and we seek and we knock. Jesus is calling us to passionate prayer. You know, you think of the Old Testament example of Jacob as he wrestled with God. And the spiritual intensity as he battled through the night. Jacob's body was pulled apart through the battle, and he ended up limping, and he became known as Israel, which means one who struggles with God. That, that's a kind of prayer that we're being called to. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, the importance of this element of persistence can't be exaggerated. You'll find it not only in the biblical teaching, but also in the lives of the saints. He says, the most fatal thing in the Christian life is to be content with, the, with passing desires. If we really want to be men and women of God, if we really want to know him and walk with him and experience those boundless blessings he has to offer us, we must persist in asking for them day after day. Now I know some of you have been praying for a long time for things that you care deeply about and you haven't seen an answer. If that's the case, this scripture's for you. You know, I, I'm one of you. I have prayed and prayed and prayed for certain things. I have someone in my family that I'm praying for. I've been praying for for years. And I confess, sometimes I get tired. And I want to quit praying. Because I haven't seen answers to that prayer. But 
this scripture reminds me that if you believe that what you're asking God for is not selfish and you feel that your request is according to God's will, you shouldn't stop asking until the answer comes. You know, for reasons I don't understand, God sometimes delays his answers, but I believe, like the friend at midnight, my job is to keep knocking until I either get the answer or God releases me from my burden. <laughs> until one of those two things has happened, I feel I'm supposed to pray. But not only are we to pray persistently and confidently, but we're also to pray expectantly. And that's another way of saying confidently, but it adds a little to it. And why do we pray expectantly? We pray expectantly because of who God is. <laughs> because he's our father. You know, after having compared God to a negative human example, a grumpy neighbor who's reluctant to get up and give what they're being asked for, Jesus uses an image of a caring earthly father to illustrate God's care of his children. In fact, Jesus makes the connection even more touching by having his listeners imagine the, their own children coming to them with a request for something they need. Jesus says, which of you fathers, and he's addressing them now as fathers, which of your fathers, if your son asked you for a fish, would give him a snake instead, or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? That'd be a great joke, wouldn't it? <laughs> what father would do that? If, if, their, if their son or daughter came asking for something they needed, would give them something that would harm them. How sadistic, right? And will our Heavenly Father give us something bad or withhold something that we need if we ask Him for something good? Sometimes we forget that God is like a good Heavenly Father. <laughs> we, we go through life cringing, thinking God's going to give us bad things. I tell you, one thing I know about having a father's heart, it is that you do almost anything within your power to do something good for your kids. But on the other hand, what earthly father would give their children something bad if they kept asking for something bad? Now, I know it doesn't say that explicitly in this text, but the implication is there. God is saying he's a good heavenly father, and if he's not going to withhold something good from us if we're asking for something we need. But on the other hand, what happens if we ask for something that's harmful to us? Is he going to give us just whatever we ask? A loving father is not going to give in to their children's wishes if they're demanding something that will harm them. You know, some of you are kind of upset at God because he hasn't given you something that you think he should. Timothy Keller said this. He says, imagine if you gave Aladdin's lamp to a five-year-old and said to him, here, honey, three wishes, whatever you want, automatically yours, whether good or bad, smart or dumb, 
You have complete power, three wishes, anything you want. He says, what would you do if your five-year-old got a hold of Aladdin's lamp and you knew his or her three wishes were coming? He says, you'd get in a rocket ship and get out of this world as fast as possible because you know disaster's on the way. <laughs> and he says, if you're a Christian and you've been asking for something and God hasn't given it, it may be because he's delaying, but it also may be because you're asking for a scorpion, not an egg. You know, there's times in our lives we ask for something that's not going to be good for us. And he says, some of you are bitter that God hasn't done something you've wanted. And you're not understanding that you're a child and he is a father. And, and, and what you want him to be is not a father, but you want him to be a genie. <laughs> Who will give you whatever you determine is right for yourself. And Keller's point is that God wants us to continue to ask, but at the same time we ask, submit to him as a father. Understanding that he's a good father. If God's a good father, we can have confidence that he's going to do what's right for us. You know, I love the way Timothy Keller puts it. He says, your father gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. If we knew everything he knows, it would probably change some of the things we ask him for. But we can pray expectantly knowing that God as our Father will give us what is best. And if God was to give you the absolute best thing you could ever have, have you ever wondered what that would be? Well, the very best thing that God could ever give you is himself. And if you ask him for more of himself, that's a request he will never deny. You're not just asking for an answer to a, a particular need. You're asking for something bigger than that. You're asking for the one who can be with you in spite of what you face in life. And so in verse 13, he goes on and says this, even if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, you're imperfect parents, but you still want to give good gifts to your children. How much more? See, again, it's another how much more statement. How much more will your heavenly Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Where, where did the Holy Spirit come into all this? You know, up until this point, we've been talking about, you know, give us our daily bread or, or meet this need in our life or whatever. And, and he's talking here about giving us something even bigger than that, something more significant than that. If you ask him for the gift of the Holy Spirit to minister within your life and to work within you, if you ask for a greater empowerment from the Spirit, God's going to be eager to give that to you because that's the best thing you could ever ask for. And here at the end of Jesus' teaching on prayer, he says, how much more does your Father want to give you the Spirit? He wants to give you a greater portion of the Spirit. Jesus knows that of all the gifts God has to give, none is greater than the gift of himself. The gift of the Spirit is the gift of his constant presence. You know, what does the Spirit do for us? You, can't, you just start to name the things the Spirit does in us. He assures us that we're the children of God. He convicts us of sin when we sin. He leads us back to the track we should be on when we get off track. The Spirit empowers us to serve God. He transforms us into the likeness of Christ. 
He enables us to love. He does all these things for us. All these things that we're looking for are found in, in the Spirit. The Spirit is a good gift, and Jesus will never withhold his Spirit from those who ask, have the wisdom to ask for the Spirit. Again, J.C. Ryle summarizes this by saying, the Holy Spirit is beyond doubt the greatest gift which Christ can bestow on man. He says, having this gift, we have all things. We have life, we have light, we have hope, we have heaven. Having this gift, we, we have the Father's boundless love. Having this gift, we have uh, the Son's atoning sacrifice. Having this gift, we have full communion with all three persons of the Blessed Trinity. Having this gift, we have grace and peace in a world that it now is and in, in, in glory and honor in a world that is to come. In short, to have the Holy Spirit is to have everything God has for us and wants to give to us. And here, Jesus promises that his spirit is ours for the asking. So let me just conclude by summing up what we just talked about. We said that our God is a loving father who wants a relationship with us. He wants us to learn to be dependent on him, to rely on him, to look for him, for the help we need. He's ready and willing to meet our need at the right time in the right way. Sometimes he wants to work in us first before we're ready for the answer. He wants us to persistently bring our petitions to him with confidence that he will answer them in the right time in the right way. And as we grow in this pattern of prayer and dependency on God, we will be following Jesus in a life of serious discipleship. And so followers of Christ will place their full confidence in the goodness of God by continually depending on him for provisions, forgiveness, guidance, and spiritual strength. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we think about this most beautiful gift you've ever given us, this gift of prayer, which is direct access to you, we pray that we would learn to ask for things in conformity to your will and that we wouldn't just ask in a hit or miss fashion, but that we would take prayer seriously enough to think that we should battle in prayer and wrestle in prayer until we either get an answer or we get released from the burden. Father, in the process of praying, purify our desires, bring us to that place of Christ-likeness. And then, Lord, we pray that you would truly be a father to us and meet us at the point of our need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Follow us on social media to keep up to date with church news and events.